1: Good afternoon and welcome to the Saturday edition of the best of fight back from the week that was this past Monday. We had just marked a grim milestone in Canada, 20,000 COVID-19 related deaths. The vast majority of those deaths were people over 60, with nursing home residents by far the biggest casualties of the pandemic. And now there are new concerns, with more contagious variants of the virus showing up in Ontario, both from the United Kingdom and South Africa. These issues provided a springboard for conversation with Fightback's Monday Zoomer squad, Bill Van Gorder, Interim Chief Policy Officer at CARP, David Kravitz, Chief Marketing Officer at CARP and Vice President here at Zoomer Media, and Peter Muggridge, Senior Editor of Zoomer Magazine.
2: The pandemic in 1918 to 20 killed, you know, that, that's generally what we consider to be the worst of all pandemics. It's it killed fifty five thousand Canadians. So um, we're halfway there, almost. And uh, <laughs> it doesn't look like these vaccines are going to come soon enough. Like we're not going to have um, Canadians vaccinated. They say September. I, I think it's going to be later. So we can expect many more deaths to come before before uh, you know we get through this.
3: Mm-hmm. And uh another thing, if you're comparing this to the last pandemic uh we're in the second wave. A lot of people were thinking that would be it when we 're done with this, but there were three waves three waves in and yeah. the nineteen eighteen to nineteen twenty pandemic yeah. da- David, what are your thoughts?
4: I think that um Peter makes a good point. I think that you know generically older people were more vulnerable. Back then as well, but I don't know that the concentration was as pronounced. And I think the real tragedy here that's shaping up rapidly is that it's going to look like a lose lose. We didn't protect the most vulnerable people um, in terms of you know life death, but we inflicted this massive, massive. Uh, disruption which is going to lead to untold other medical problems for all age groups so we didn't we didn't protect the most vulnerable and we inflicted amazing damage on uh, everybody else and uh, you know we can point fingers and second guess and I think some of the blame is it will be justifiably spread around but it is it's a tragedy that there's just no way uh, no other way to describe it.
3: Bill?
5: We saw the uh, the first wave uh, we a second wave was predicted nothing was uh, done to really solve a lot of the underlying issues uh, after the first wave and now it looks like with the uh, with the possible uh, mutant um, uh, forms coming along we could well go into a third wave and we still don't seem to be dealing with the basic issues that are uh, creating the problem and now you know it's it's a race between the the vaccine and uh, and uh, where we're going to end up and the vaccine is losing Uh, uh, older adults the CARP members that we're talking to are uh, they're disappointed they're sad they're anxious they can't understand the the inaction and why more hasn't been done
3: in terms of uh, preparing for the second wave, some provinces have done a lot better than others, and I'm thinking of British Columbia and Quebec. Here in Ontario, we seem to be laggards. David?
4: The reason is that it wasn't treated as a unusual, once-in-a-lifetime emergency calling for, out-of-the-box thinking and unconventional uh, action. It was treated as something that could be handled by the normal processes. And if you look at um, the inspections of infection control, you just mentioned infection control, Libby, there wasn't any inspecting done during the summer when the first wave had receded. There was no preventive, anticipatory inspection done in the nursing homes. They, business as usual, if we get a complaint about verbal abuse or unsafe uh, equipment or something, we'll go in there, but they didn't, they didn't check everything when they had the chance to do so. And they treated it as business as usual, and that's why we're paying the price now. The other provinces took extraordinary action, action that might not be sustainable all the time, but they took extraordinary action for a massive, extraordinary crisis, and they didn't do that here.
1: That was Libby's conversation with David Kravitz, Chief Marketing Officer at CARP and Vice President at Zoomer Media, Bill Van Gorder, Interim Chief Policy Officer at CARP, and Peter Muggridge, Senior Editor of Zoomer Magazine. This is the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. With the newer, more contagious variants now in the mix, we've started to see new, stricter guidance on how and where to wear masks. America's top infectious disease expert, Dr. Anthony Fauci, has been promoting the idea of wearing more than one mask to increase protection and curb the spread. We've been hearing that those cloth masks, some of which are homemade, should have three layers. As well as advice, it's a good idea to wear cloth masks over surgical masks so they will fit better. The science on this continues to evolve. So on Monday, Libby checked in with two experts to get their opinions. Dr. Timothy Sly, an epidemiologist and professor at the School of Occupational and Public Health at Ryerson University, and Dr. Zane Chagla, an infectious diseases physician at St. Joseph's Healthcare Hamilton.
6: We've seen a lot of different masks. We've seen a lot of different people with masks being worn at different states. And, and realistically, as we're moving forward with the variant, the best mask we can recommend is the one that is being worn. Uh, you know, there are baseline standards from the Public Health Agency of Canada for a three-layer mask, as you described. Part of that is not only that these types of masks prevent people from spreading COVID-19, but also offer some personal protection as well. So I think, you know, with the discussions that are going on and double masking and all that stuff, you know, first of all, we really need to just make sure people are wearing good quality, standardized masks. I wouldn't be focusing on two two layers I would be focusing on making sure people are wearing the appropriate mask at the appropriate time and are following the minimum standards.
3: Dr. Sly?
7: Yeah, I, I would agree with, uh, with almost everything that uh, Dr. Chagas said. Uh, the important thing to realize, step back a second realize that nothing is 100%. <laughs> Uh, none of the tests, none of the vaccines, none of the precautions are really 100%. So it's really a case of increasing wherever you can, and uh, and uh, bettering the odds, if you like. Um, the uh, I actually wear a double mask, and I have done for a long time because I'm one of those nasty, crusty, wrinkly old timers. You <laughs> see, uh, I wear an industrial uh, type, not a medical type N95, which has got the vent in the front, so you wouldn't wear that because all of the air comes out. Uh, but it's very good to protect me. And then on top of that, I put a, a very good three layer uh, mask that's quite tight fitting over the top of that. And that, I think, gives the best of optim- optimizes the, the, uh, the risk for everybody, uh, the, me and for everybody else. And that's good. But as Dr. Chagla said, the main thing is to get everybody wearing a reasonably good mask right away that's the first step
3: isn't uh, uh, your your uh, your uh, contraption there isn't it a little hard to wear tight to breathe? Not at
7: all. No, the N95 is, is keeps the mask fabric away from your nose and mouth. It's, it's a structured thing. And so uh, if it's well-fitted, that's a central thing for N95. It's going to be well-fitted. You can't get them really now. This is some construction stuff I had left back from a couple of years ago. But it, no, it, it improves the, uh, the, the breathing altogether. But you've got to get it fitted very well. No, no two people's faces are the same and they don't fit. You've got to make sure that works.
3: Uh I gather, Doctor Chagla, that the main issue with whatever mask you're wearing is is the fit. And if uh they're loose or anything like that, then that's problematic.
6: Yeah, absolutely. The mask that's slipping down under the nose, the mask that someone has to keep readjusting, the mask that's open at the sides, you know, those aren't gonna be as effective as a well fitting mask that goes over the face, that goes under the chin. That goes over the nose. And and one of the minor benefits of the double masking um, is that is that the two layers create some tension on the sides. But you theoretically can do that with just a good fitting mask. It might take a few to get to that model, but you know, I would gain, I would rather people have access and try and find a mask that they're comfortable with, that meets the minimum standard that fits their face appropriately, rather than necessarily worrying about putting two or three masks on top. Dr. Sly, what would you like to
3: leave us with?
7: Any mask is better than none. And if you can improve the odds, uh, by all means do so. If you're going to have something uh, additional on top, make it a different fiber, not the same thing. So whatever one fiber misses, the other fiber will trap. That's probably a good idea, but any mask is better than none.
1: Dr. Timothy Sly, epidemiologist and professor at the School of Occupational and Public Health at Ryerson University, and Dr. Zane Chagla, infectious diseases physician at St. Joseph's Healthcare in Hamilton. You're listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. Coming up after the break... Could we get homegrown COVID-19 vaccines by summer? That is the promise from the Prime Minister. We will discuss next.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good isn't good enough. Make way for the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back.
1: Now to the ongoing issues around COVID-19 vaccines. Likely in an effort to shunt the criticism over the federal government's confused vaccine rollout and supply cutbacks, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau announced on Tuesday an agreement to manufacture Novavax vaccines in Canada. The plant would be in Montreal, but won't be ready to go until at least July. The prime minister continues to insist that despite the cutbacks from both Pfizer and Moderna, Canada will get all the vaccines we ordered by the end of March, which does not answer the question of why the government did not adequately order any for the year end, like other countries, including Great Britain and the United States. Libby got reaction to the ongoing clumsy vaccine rollout from our Tuesday strategy panel. Karen Stintz, CEO of Variety Village, John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner Fleischman-Hillard High Road, and Bob Richardson, Liberal Strategist and Senior Counsel to National Public Relations.
8: I think it's helpful to have uh, domestic production again, and I'm glad uh, they're doing it. Uh, it would be nice if they, we could... Um, ramp this up faster, and uh, sometimes I think governments, all of them, have, uh, haven't really been moving at the pace that they need to uh, during a pandemic, um, and it doesn't seem to be have quite that national priority, so I, I hope we move quickly on that. But look, what the government needs is to be jabbing people in the arms, and it needs to get uh, the vaccines from Moderna, it needs to get the vaccines from Pfizer, Prime Minister spoke, spoke to both CEOs, who have said it's coming. Uh, he needs to make sure that he doesn't have a problem with the EU. He's talked to the president of the EU. He's been assured of that. So verbally you know, we'll assured at the end of the four, uh, first quarter, they're supposed to have 4 million vaccines in. If they do, I think things will be relatively on track. Uh, if they don't, then they've got a big problem.
3: Uh, John, here we are. Britain has vaccinated 90% of their population over 80 uh, in the community here, they haven't even started doing that, and they don't plan to start doing it until March or April. What do you make of it? Does a vaccine uh, manufacturing announcement for the summer, does will that deflect?
9: I think the challenge with this prime minister... Has been, and this could very well be the the, the chink in the armor, uh, so to speak, with respect to to his success on on the pandemic. You know, is, is the vaccine rollout, and I think there's been some challenges. I think early on, and uh, just before the end of 2020, we heard a number of his cabinet ministers kind of pontificating when the vaccine might be coming and how it's going to be rolled out, and. When most Canadians are going to be vaccinated, and it was all over the map, and and I think the pressure that the opposition parties put on the prime minister allowed him to sort of you know get back to the pharmaceuticals, get deals cut, and get at least some vaccines in for 2020, uh, which which he did, and which is obviously positive news. And then, and then we find out in the new year that that in fact Pfizer. Um, had to put a delay on our specific shipments, not in other, other jurisdictions, but certainly in Canada, which affected us. So, you know, I think, I think the, the, the challenge is, is that we want, as Bob says, we want, you know, needles in arms as soon as possible. And no government leader can do it fast enough or quick enough or efficiently enough. There's going to be some hiccups that we've seen in some of the jurisdictions and, and whatnot. That's to be expected. But I do think, though, that, you know, it's good news that we're going to get some vaccines produced in our, in our country, as we saw with PPE that's going to be helpful for us uh, down the road uh, but that's the summer we need to get we need to get some jabs and arms uh, right away and, and you know I think a lot of the problems and certainly in Ontario we're starting to see a lot of that as soon as they get the vaccines um, they'll put the plan in place to get long-term care facilities at least the majority of them uh, all done so so I think I think there's going to be some challenges with respect to that but the good news from the perspective of having it done in Canada.
10: Karen, you know back in November, The prime minister said we didn't have any production capacity. Well, we did have production capacity. We just didn't have a deal with the manufacturer that wanted to produce here. The fact that we're now ramping up and getting this deal inked, I think, is a clear indication that we're not going to all be vaccinated by September. Because if we had actually any confidence in our supply chain and in our current contracts, it's not evident to me that we would have to rush to, do, to take this step to spend more money in a, making a production facility in Vancouver and potentially, potentially Vancouver and in Montreal to ramp up vaccine production. I think there's still a lot of questions like, are we going to get vaccinated by September? Can we rely on the vaccination strategy to help us get out of this? Um, if the answer to that is no, then we need to start pivoting to other things that we need to do because, to your point, Libby, there's still vulnerable seniors who are not getting vaccinated and we don't know when they're going to get vaccinated. There's so many questions that still are not answered by this announcement.
1: Karen Stintz, CEO of Variety Village. John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner at Fleischman Hillard High Road. And Bob Richardson, Liberal Strategist and Senior Counsel to National Public Relations. Fight Back's Tuesday Strategy Panel. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Have your auto insurance premiums gone up, down, or stayed the same during the pandemic? The opposition New Democrats at Queen's Park think that they should go down because collisions are down by more than half since last March, at least in Toronto. The reality is that premiums continue to rise at a time when there is less traffic on the roads due to pandemic restrictions. The New Democrats say insurers have banked an extra $2.7 billion during the pandemic and that they are artificially inflating the savings they have claimed to give back in rebates by including the number of people who have reduced their coverage to comprehensive or fire and theft. Libby was joined by a panel of experts to discuss... Chris Bonn, managing partner at Bonn Law, consumer advocate Ellen Roseman, and Tom Rakasevic, former Ontario NDP auto insurance critic, and now the transit critic as of this past week.
11: It's easy to look good in a press conference pretending to be angry. The reality is that the Ford government has the opportunity and it continues to have the opportunity to mandate in real reductions as deserved by Ontario drivers. All they did was allow for the possibility of rebates But the reality is for the 10th straight time, auto insurance rates across the board have gone up for drivers during a pandemic and during a time when accidents in Toronto are less than 50%. um, They're down by over 50%. And it's similar across the entire province. And so once again, the the Ontario NDP are calling for a reduction of 50% in premiums across the board. Um, for all drivers. It's it's time to stop gouging Ontario drivers.
3: Ellen Roseman, uh, what's your take on this? I mean, if you ask insurers, they say that uh, payout for the accidents aren't the only things that cost them money.
12: Yes, uh, they talk about the fact that under the Kathleen Wynn Liberal government, they were under price caps or price reductions. The the promise was that we'd uh, have an average 15% reduction in automobile insurance rates. Didn't happen. happen. they, They couldn't raise them as much as they wanted to. So now they're taking advantage of this, I guess, to raise the rates. They say they're not making a profit. But as Tom knows, we don't know if they're making a profit or not. We've not given enough figures on, you know, where they make their money and how much insurance, uh, auto insurance contributes to their overall profits. These rebates were kind of a joke. I got one for $30, a little check in the mail. And my car is like uh, $1,400 a year to insure. So that's about 3% of my annual bills. Chris, uh, you're a lawyer, you
3: represent people uh, who have claims. What, what are you finding?
11: Yeah, I find the same thing, that uh, the rates continue to increase. And I take it from the perspective, yes, we want to see insurance rates go down for everyone. That's obviously helpful to everyone in the province. But I also look at it from the uh, view of the injured victim, those who are innocently injured in car crashes uh, or uh, otherwise injured. And the benefits have been cut as well. There have been successive cuts to the benefits being paid. At the same time, rates are going up. So I'm seeing very seriously injured people in car collisions who aren't getting the medical and rehabilitation treatment they need. And I'll echo the comments that what we need is financial transparency from these companies. We need to know what money are they earning in Ontario on auto insurance. And then we can have a a proper informed discussion as to what the appropriate rates should be. But without that information, it's hard to discuss in a vacuum what the appropriate rates should be. We, We rely on the insurance companies to uh, be upfront with what they're earning and then they're, they're simply not providing us the information. And so I'm part of a, a group of plaintiff lawyers, lawyers who represent those who've been injured, the Ontario Trialers Association, and we've been uh, ha- asking the Ontario government for years to force auto insurers in Ontario to disclose what they're making uh, in Ontario on auto insurance. And they refuse to force insurance companies, That the government refuses to force insurance companies to disclose that information. We need some transparency as to where these numbers are coming from so we can see whether or not rates are appropriate. As well, we've got to stop cutting benefits uh, to those who are injured.
3: Is there anything else that consumers, drivers should be particularly aware
12: of, Ellen? Well, there's always a, a, a good reason for older drivers in particular to shop around because you do have a good history uh, you're not going to get the kind of discrimination that younger drivers get. So go to one of the websites that allows you to compare rates. There's a whole bunch of them. The one I, I write for is lowestrates.ca, but there's others as well. And just see, you know, what you can get in terms of better rates elsewhere. And also look at your coverage and try and talk to the companies about whether you can raise your deductibles or lower certain kinds of coverage to be able to get a better rate.
1: Consumer advocate Ellen Roseman, Chris Bond, managing partner at Bond Law, and NDP critic Tom Rakasevich. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's best of fight back. Still to come, what you had to say about the week that was and the fight back knockout call of the week.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches with the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Fight
1: Back with Libby Snymer brings you comprehensive coverage of the news stories that interest you and your reaction to them on the phones. We've gone through the audio. Here are some of the best calls of the past week. Pat in Toronto called about the Novavax vaccine announcement, which would see COVID vaccines produced in Canada.
5: I think we're missing something. This was announced as an MOU, Memorandum of Understanding. It is sort of saying, well, we'll think about this. This is not a contract. So people have to understand that. Nothing has been signed that says we're going to produce this And when we're going to produce it, it's simply that we're going to look at the idea. And I mean, I think one of the problems we've got is we've never, the public has never been shown the contracts that have been signed by the federal government. And I suspect they say when and if available. So, uh, you know, if we had some of that information, it would make it much easier for, for the public to understand what's going on.
0: And now, Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a lot
1: of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week comes from Dennis in Brampton, who phoned about his concerns with students beginning to return to in-person learning.
2: I did hear the comment about mental health of children and the need to reopen the schools. Uh, That being said, I did see um, a report that 70% of the schools are in the highest-risk areas, particularly in the GTA York Region, etc. And from the beginning, I think I'm saying, and so has the program, that we're not doing nearly enough adequate testing uh, in the schools, and the protection for students and teachers in the schools themselves with regard to ventilation and distancing, simply not there. So I'm very concerned with the variants and what the reopening schools plan for the 16th, and the GTA is going to have on the uh, general population.
1: That does it for today's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca and follow us on Twitter at fightbacklibby. Libby. I'm Jane Brown. Join me again at the same time tomorrow when we'll round up the rest of The Best of Fight Back.
0: The Best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zee Hadi, with technical production by Kelly Robotham, executive producer Moses Nimer